0: Hey guys, today's guest is actually a personal hero of mine. I met him when I was just a little kid, and he came to my school and did the finger trick. (laughs) And he's been a hero of mine ever since. So I'm looking forward to this interview today with Bob Stromberg. You're a man. You want to become a better one. You want to level up. That's nobody's task but your own. This is your starting line. This is your boot camp. It starts
1: now. Welcome to the Manlyhood Mancast with Josh
0: Hackett. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being a part of the Manlyhood Mancast audience. I just want to encourage you, if you're enjoying what you're getting from us here at Manlyhood, please go to Spotify or Apple or YouTube and leave a rating, a review, comment. Let's interact and let's show the algorithms that control the world that the content that we're doing here really matters. That happens when you interact with it, when you share it with your friends, and when you say, hey, this is good and I'm getting something out of it. That helps us to get the word out, so please do that. Uh, Our guest today is an award-winning comedian and storyteller. And he's just a phenomenal guy. I've known Bob Stromberg for many years, and I've really appreciated his humor and his storytelling. And yeah, I think we had a really great conversation. So without further ado, here's Bob Stromberg.
1: This is the Manlyhood Man
0: Mancast. Hey, Bob, it's great to have you on the show, man. Thank you for for coming on with me. I'm, I'm excited to have this conversation with you today, man.
1: Well, thank you, Josh. Yeah, it's a, it's a pleasure. I uh, um, saw you about a month ago uh, at the uh, Sawyer Church in, outside Bradford somewhere. I don't know exactly where we were that night. But I, I think, and you you can tell me, is, it, is that the first time that we've met face-to-face?
0: No. The first time that we met face-to-face, I was uh, five years old, and I was sitting on a gym a gymnatorium floor and you taught me how to do the finger trick and how to disappear oh, yes, behind a couch this, with an elevator and an escalator this, yeah this finger trick right there yeah, I, yes. I do that for <laughs> i do that for my grandkids and like it's just great I, yeah so that that's the first time that we've ever met face to face and uh, you've kind of been that. a a subtle superhero of mine ever since cuz you you, you 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 could get away with misbehaving in public and that was what i wanted to do so
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. You know, I I re, um I don't I'm I mean, I remember coming I and I think only one time. That was at the elementary school in Port Allegheny. is that right? Port Allegheny, Pennsylvania? That's correct. Yeah. That is and correct. uh you're 5 years old. So, well, that gives me an idea of about, about what our age difference is here. So, we're <laughs> looking at we're looking at close to 20 years or so. So, you're in your are you in your 50s now?
0: Uh, 46. I,
1: I, Forty six, yeah, okay. Well, you're the age of age of my my boys, so yeah, yeah, pleasure. It's fun stuff. Fun. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, I, t- I taught so, this to many many children, by the way, and we would we would get up and they would put their hands next to mine and we would go down the down the line and then do a, a long finger riffle like that. So
0: <laughs> yeah, it was always fun, and you know, and and I remember I just remember being a kid in. You know, you'd come in and you'd make jokes and we would all laugh and it was, you know, and I I mean, you've got a career doing all kinds of really interesting things, right? And telling all kinds of stories in all kinds of ways. But um, I just remember that that was a lot of fun being a kid and seeing this guy come in and, you know, because we were always told, you know, we'd, we'd laugh in class all the time and we'd get in trouble for laughing, you know? Sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you come yeah. in and we get to laugh in school and it was okay. So that was that was kind of yes. fun.
1: yeah. Well, you know, it's, that's interesting that, uh, so you were five, so that was 40, 40 years ago. Um, that was during a period, I I started my career, well, I really started in 19, uh, 1975. Um, if you look behind me here, I'll move this so you can see this. Do you see that picture right there, right here?
0: Yeah. Can you see that?
1: Do you yeah, do you that, know what
0: that is? Is that Cassius Clay?
1: That's Ali. Muhammad Ali and George Foreman laying on the carpet right there. And this is uh this is a poster. Uh it, it's not an actual uh poster of those two guys, but it's a it's an artist's rendering of the poster. Are you still with me, Josh? Yep. Okay, yeah, yeah i I lost you, but I, I won't worry about that if that happens. I mean, I can't see you, so but that's okay. Um, this this fits into your uh, manlihood uh, podcast. I think that here here is a picture of this this uh, fight in in Zaire. That was the rumble in the jungle, if you remember hearing that phrase. Um, it was. Uh, it is now considered one of the top three um, athletic contests in the last hundred years so i mean that was a it was a big i don't know what the other two were but but there were the top three in this ali foreman fight the rumble in the jungle was one of those top three Uh, and that's from sports illustrated or or wherever i was at that fight that's awesome yeah i mean can you imagine that And I had had no interest in in fighting. Uh, I'd I'd never been to a boxing match in in my life or never been in a boxing match in my life or had any interest in it. But um, I spent my first year of marriage in Zaire, in what is now the uh, uh, Democratic Republic of Congo. And uh, I was working as a youth director in a church um, that was before they we even there even was such a thing as called a youth pastor. If you can if you can imagine that they didn't even exist then. I was a youth director in the church. I was just out of college, got married six weeks later. My wife Judy and I uh, took off for Africa, and we uh, went to the city of Kinshasa, where I worked in the American School of Kinshasa, which was uh, uh, I, I basically I did young life if you're familiar with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I did that kind of work uh, there at that school. That was my that was my job. And Ali uh, and Foreman came to Kinshasa that year, a city of 10 million people. <clears throat> they came to Kinshasa for this rumble in the jungle. And uh, at our Tuesday night Bible study with uh, some other young people about my age, most of them a little bit older, somebody said, "So uh, we're going to the fight, right?" And I I said, "Well, what what fight is that?" They said, "The the Ali Foreman fight." I said. Well, I guess, I guess we could. So we bought tickets for, oh, maybe it cost us 7 or $8 to go to the fight back then, uh, which was, I mean, I, I, it wasn't a lot of money even then, but it was uh, certainly m- more than you would think. Now, 7 8 bucks now uh, is, is so little. But anyway, we bought these tickets, and we, we went to the fight. It was at 4 o'clock in the morning. We got there to the stadium, 126,000 people at this in a soccer stadium. And uh, we, we uh, got our seats uh, h- halfway up there. Um, and we had we got there about 10 o'clock in the evening. Uh, the the uh, James Brown was there, the Pointer Sisters were there, a bunch of different acts were there. That we listened to music until about two in the morning with a couple of preliminary, preliminary fights. And then Ali and Foreman went on at four in the morning so it could be broadcast back in New York. And uh, and and we were there for that uh, for that fight, so that's that was awesome. Kind of Crazy that they did it
0: there, you know. That was a very was an interesting choice of venue. Well, right? then
1: they had the 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 Manila, the Thrilla in Manila, which was uh, George Frazier and uh, Muhammad Ali. After that, and I got kind of interested in in uh, boxing. After that, but it, that was a fascinating experience. And and many times when, when you know when I'm driving with people and and. Um, And you get talking about, uh, people start sharing stuff that you go, really? You did this or you did that? That's always a, I've got one in my back pocket, you know. Well, I was at the rumble in the jungle. Want to hear another one just
0: for fun? Sure. You can tell me as many as you want, Bob.
1: Just (laughs) just for fun. 1973. uh, I was uh, going into my senior year of college. I went to North Park College in Chicago, Illinois. And I got a job for that summer of 73. It's the summer I turned 21. I got a job uh, at Mission Springs Conference Center outside, Christian Conference Center outside Santa Cruz, California. And um, first week, at 21, I was one of the oldest people in in the uh at the whole camp that seems crazy to me now to think of that but that's the kind of responsibility that we were given to think that at 21 i'm one of the oldest guys except for the camp director he was he was an old man he was probably like he was probably 50 you know he could still walk and talk anyway uh i got this job and and uh as a chapel speaker and the first week of camp he got a call the camp director got a call from a youth pastor up in um uh, the Bay Area, uh, San Francisco, Oakland Bay Area, saying, I've got a kid in my youth group. He's 16, nice kid, but he he's kind of a tough si- family situation, and he is, uh, uh, I'm afraid he's going to be on the street this summer. You know, I, he doesn't need to be paid. If he came down there, could you put him to work and kind of take care of him? And so our camp director says, sure, send him down. So this kid, Tommy, comes down there. Tommy and I did not become close friends that summer believe me Uh, i remember a lot of experiences uh, with him uh, mostly confrontations but one in particular i was speaking to a group of about a hundred elementary school uh, students doing bible stuff with them now tommy is sitting in the back and i see him slip his hand underneath his t-shirt and he put it up underneath his armpit like this i didn't actually see this but I began to know, to hear kids laughing in the back and realize that Tommy was punctuating every pause, uh, every every comma, semicolon, or period at the end of my sentences during my talk. He he would punctuate with his uh, armpit. And, uh, of course, it was mayhem with these little kids. They were all laughing because of the sound that he was making. And afterwards, I called him up and I said, Tommy, you know, that is a remarkable gift that you have. You're, you're so articulate. It's, it's, like, it's a spiritual gift, really. Uh, but you may never, never use this again during my talks. Do you understand? He rolled his eyes and walked away. This is this is Tommy who is now better known to the world as Tom Hanks.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, truth, you get to, to tell story. Tom Hanks yeah. to behave himself.
1: You know, people <laughs> say to me, oh, so you were not a very good friend of Tom's. No, no I was not. Well, you know, i bet you feel badly about that. Now you're, you've been a performance your whole life. Bob, gee, I bet you wish you'd been a better friend. To which I say, well, yeah, I wish I'd been a better friend to a lot of people. I do, but do I wish that I uh, had been a better friend so that I could uh, advance my personal career? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I sure.
0: <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, oh, I love it yeah. when you when you when you come across you know those little crazy situations where oh I have now met somebody who is. Has gone on to become famous, and, and you know, it's not necessarily a, um, you know, I, I got to go uh, with a friend to, who was a guest on the Today Show, and uh,
1: this is my brush with Say him.
0: Say it again. He, he was on the Today Show. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah. so he was being interviewed, and I got to go up there with him and um, got to meet. You know, the cast of the Today Show, you know, all the anchors and Matt Lauer, who kind of refused to shake hands because he had just put on Purell. So he you know, gives me an elbow bump.
1: Oh, yeah. Boy, that guy's
0: kind of a creep. And then you find out later on that he ended up being kind of a creep. So he was indeed, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Kind of glad I didn't shake his hand now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. You know, I, I, I remember hearing about you, uh, for the first, uh, first time. It, it seems to me it was maybe 20 years ago or so, but I, I were, you lived in Erie for a while. Is that right? Did you live down? Were you? No, were you in Erie? no, no.
0: I've been in, oh. I, I went down to Virginia for college and then I've been, been up in this area for quite a while, but, um, yeah. you know, I, uh, uh you know, so I never really lived, uh, you know, just Virginia and here, you know, I lived in Rolette and then Bradford, um, went to school in Port Allegheny and uh so, but I've done a lot of crazy, fun stuff over the years so <laughs>
1: I, I remember uh i uh, seeing a a video or something, or did you write music as well? Did you do some yeah. music writing yep. yeah yeah, Maybe yeah, I heard yeah, some I music, but it. I remember thinking, oh, there's a kid from Port Allegheny. who's he, he's doing something creative not not that there haven't been people who do artistic kind of creative things from Port Allegheny before, but certainly. I, I didn't have a model to follow for that. Um, nobody had. I, I remember watching the Smothers Brothers on the Ed Sullivan Show with my dad when I was a when I was a little kid, and thinking, man, that is, that is what I want to do. And um, but but nobody had ever, from our town, nobody had ever done anything like that. As you recall, from our town. A lot of people uh, ended up working at one of the two glass factories, um, making glass blocks or making uh, bottles. Um, some of them from from my uh, era, from from my class, actually ended up running those those factories for a while. So they worked their way on up up through there. A lot of people did that, or worked for the worked for the uh, natural gas company, the, their North Bend Gas Company, but not very many people were involved in the arts in any way. And uh, so I remember he- hearing about Jung and going, oh, well, there's somebody who's actually uh, trying to do something is concerned about that and writing poetry and writing books and good for him. That's, that's fantastic. So, um, so we, we follow our, we get these nudges from God about who we should be um, or what we should do. And they come from they come from everywhere. I mean, we get our parents, for example, are a, a great influence on us as to um, what we might end up doing someday with our with our life. Um, quick story about my dad, and and this is um, this uh, I, I'm so impressed with my, my dad. My dad is still living, by the way. He's in the state of Connecticut. He lives in a a lovely retirement uh, center out there near my sisters, which is great for, for all of them. Um, but I remember coming back from Zaire and having my in, my wife and I were s- sitting around the table there in Port Allegheny with my mom and dad. And my dad said, all right, well, you're back from that. You, you finished college. You did this year of mission work in Zaire, had a great experience what are your intentions? What are are you thinking that you should be doing now? And um, I said to him, well, I think I've got this figured out. I'm going to go to this mime school (laughs) up in the state of Maine and I'm going to learn how to do that mime stuff and uh, acting stuff and juggling and various types of circus arts performing things. And then I'm going to go around to some to, around to schools, and I'll say to the principal at the school, "Can I?" I ask, "Can I come and do a performance at your school?" And they'll say, "Well, how much will it cost?" And and I'll say, or "What do you do?" And I'll give them a brochure or something, and they'll say, "How much does it cost?" And I'll say, "Oh, it costs a hundred bucks." And they'll say, "Well, okay." And then I'll do the performance, and they'll give me a check, and. If I can get enough schools like that, I could actually do something that I think I would love doing. And my dad, and again, my mom and dad are both educators, my dad looked at me and, and he said, oh, Bob, that is perfect. And I've reflected upon that many times, because my dad's a bright guy, and the th- Really, when I think about what I shared with him, I'm going to go to schools and say, can I come and do something for your kids and they're going to pay me money. And so how could you ever make a living that way? And don't you under my dad could have said, don't you understand how expensive life is with insurances and housing and food and clothing and taking care of your wife and then your kids will come. How are you thinking you could possibly make a a living that way? but uh it it, it's just remarkable my dad my dad knew me that always impressed me that my dad knew me he understood his boy um which is really quite a remarkable thing he knew he knew that that's what i was made for he knew that was my my bent you know that that's the direction that i should be going uh, because that's something i was naturally good at And, um, first, my first year out of, I went to that mime school up in the state of Maine, Celebration Mime Theater, studied there for, actually studied there for, uh, two full four month summers, seven day a week kind of stuff, really intense, but came out of that two-year experience and started knocking on doors in, in New England at the time. We, we moved to New England because we realized there were tens of thousands of schools in a very, very small geographical area, unlike Port Allegheny, where you've got this town, but then you got to drive quite a ways to get to, to places, you know, but out there, everything was with two hours. Boston, Boston's two hours, it was two hours away. New York City was two and a half, 245. Awful lot of schools in those states. Now you have 475 school assembly programs that first year, and it stayed right up around 400 for 10 or 12 years that I, that I did that. So I cut my teeth uh, learning how to do what I do. I cut my teeth in that, uh, in those, that school situation, doing school assembly programs, which is, which is hardly anything to say, boy, aren't I a big shot. I do school assembly programs. But I, was, but I learned how to do what I do. And I was so proud to go, I, I'm, I'm actually... I'm a, I'm a working artist. I'm, I'm making this happen here, you know. So and you were and you were in one of those audiences, which was great. yes, so. for sure. And yeah, then definitely. of course, like it went I said, out, I mean, I think it, it,
0: I think it kind of changed okay. the tra- trajectory of my life a little bit, you know. I mean, I, yeah, amazing. I I've always worked in some way, even if it wasn't intentionally. I've always kind of worked in where I get to use my creativity, whether it's marketing or you know, try to find a way to make it a marketable skill, you know. But Yeah, that that definitely inspired me as a kid.
1: Yeah, very fun. And then it went from there uh, to um, oh, a number of different iterations of what I did. But after about twelve years of schools, I realized, I boy, I don't think I I want to do do this market for the rest of my life. That might be (laughs) be a, a bit much. Could, I think I probably could have. I, I know guys, I, I, I worked with a guy for years who's, he's still, still doing school stuff at, at 70 years of age and, and, uh, and he's really good at it. So I learned by the way that the, the same techniques that I learned in uh, school, I mean, performing in schools, the same techniques that I mastered there in terms of crowd control, in terms of uh, being able to read the audience and know oh i've got some got some concerns back in that area, and learning how to play with them, deal with them without without having to deal with them directly, but to get them on my side um, some noise over here, how do I handle this you know um, i I learned that those same techniques were techniques that I then used in in comedy clubs or business uh, or Corporate events or larger things. Promise keepers, for example, um, I, I had the the pleasure and the blessing of being a part of uh, emceeing promise keepers conferences back in the the big stadium days. You know, seventy seventy five thousand guys, and I I realized, oh my goodness, it's the same. It's not. It's not different from being in, in in front of a group of of three hundred elementary school students. It's it's the same process of reading the audience, communicating to the audience, being able to look at them, and of course at promise keepers, you have the big we had the big jumbotrons, so that made it uh, even easier to make sure they saw me. I'd go, okay, which camera am I on? I'm going right at them now. But I discovered the same techniques work beautifully there, so. It's fun.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. So when you left the big old town of Port Allegheny and discovered the yeah. big wide world, did you find that, uh, growing up in that small town was very different than the things you'd encounter out in the rest of the world?
1: I, I saw growing up in that small town as a real plus for me. Um, I experienced, um, uh, well i had a wonderful family first of all so that that was a, that's the greatest blessing my mom and dad uh i never questioned their love for me i love them dearly uh, still do I've lost my mom now but i s- still love my mom obviously and, and my sisters um i i had a a small group of friends i i didn't have i didn't have you know people sometimes think they have to have 20 or 30 friends. I I don't know where that idea, maybe that comes from social media. I don't know, but you don't need 20 or 30 friends. You need, you need one or two good friends. And, um, you know, I had a lot of friends that I liked, but I had, I had half a dozen, uh, guy friends and a couple girlfriends that, that, um, were just a blessing. All. And, this, this is a, I think a unique thing. Unlike growing up in the city somewhere, I, I went to school with the same kids all the way through, you know, they're these, these same 30 kids are in my kindergarten pictures and they're in, in my senior year in high school pictures. So, um, I also thought it was a real plus because, um, I played uh, football and basketball in in Port Allegheny and and did really well. I succeeded. I was able to, I played in the varsity football team when I was a sophomore. Not many people did that. Um, We were undefeated, uh, uh, football team. We were undefeated two years in a row. uh, And that hadn't happened since 1942. Uh, And it was, uh, I remember in 19... uh, um, Oh, I don't know. It would have been my sophomore year, whatever it was, 60, 68, I guess. I was a sophomore, and uh, this is another just a reflection on my dad. Things jump in my head. I'm sorry if I'm jumping all over the place, but is the way my mind works. Um, my dad uh, came to see me play, as he always did, on a Saturday afternoon, and as a sophomore, because I played on such a good team and we were beating teams so badly, I got to play quite a bit. And I scored a touchdown that day. And I came home after the game that Saturday afternoon. I remember it vividly. And uh, I was a bit proud of myself, you know. And, and uh, I said, "Yeah, you, did you see that, Dad? He goes, yeah, I saw it. I saw it. My mom, my mom could tell I was being a bit bragging a bit or wanting to brag a bit. And she kind of started to smile. And I saw her smiling at my dad. And I knew they had something going. And I said, What? I said that's a pretty big deal, you know. I there, none of the other sophomores scored any. Of the, well, there are only three of us on the team, but none of you know. I'm the only sophomore who scored a touchdown today. And my mom looked at my dad, and she said, "My dad's name is Bob as well." She said, "So Bob, you want you want to tell him, or shall I?" And dad goes, ah, "You can tell him." And um, I said, "Dad, I I know you're going to tell me that your team was undefeated in in uh, in 19, uh 45, you know, I, I know you're going to say that, uh, but you know, we're we're going to be, we'll probably be undefeated this year too. And, and, and my mom goes, no, what he was, what, what I wanted him to tell you is that when he was a sophomore on his undefeated team, he scored every touchdown that year. (laughs) And and I said, (laughs) that's not true. And she goes, yes, it is. And I looked at my dad and he went, like this, <laughs> and he did. When, when we moved, it, when I moved him out of out of the house there to, to move to Connecticut twenty years ago or so, we found all these yellow yellow reporter Argus uh, Port Allegheny newspapers that had been saved, and they were they were the, the it was a sports page uh, uh, reporting them on uh, about my dad. He scored every touchdown on that undefeated team. My dad would have never told me that. You would have That's never amazing. told me that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty cool. So I, uh, the the point about being on playing athletics in that town is uh, it was really special to be able to do that because when I got to college, I realized uh, if I had been in a city school, um, I wouldn't have played football or basketball. I, I never would. I would not have made any city team anywhere in the country. I wouldn't have made the team wouldn't have been good enough. but in Port Allegheny there was this, those all those little towns around are small enough that I was able to to be an outstanding athlete for that area. So I got to experience that, you know which was which was and a lot of other things if if you wanted to, if I wanted to be in a play or a musical at, in school there, I could do it and I did do it um, because there weren't that many kids that I was competing for for that role. And, uh, so the whole town gave me that opportunity to, and the freedom that we used to experience in, in, in our towns, Josh, I think probably even when you were a kid, but more so when I was, um, I mean, I would leave in the summertime, I'd be out of the house in the morning, well, after lunch, I'd take off and go to the swimming pool, then go to a friend's house, as long as I was home by six o'clock for dinner. My folks didn't have to think of, of, about where I was or worry about what I was doing. They knew everything was okay. The whole town was kind of looking after everybody. So, and I assume, I assume even even you and the being in the the next generation from me, even you must have experienced that. So.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. We, we when summertime ended, so you know, I'm thinking like eighth grade. You know, I honestly didn't have a whole lot of friends until eighth grade, and I made a couple really good friends. And so that summer on from. June until August, you know, the end of August. I mean, we were barely at home. We were usually up in the woods camping, and then we'd come home long enough to raid the pantry and get back out to the woods again, you know? So, and nobody, no, you know, we didn't have to worry about anything because everybody knew who we were, and you couldn't get in trouble. You didn't even have to worry about ticks. (laughs) Right, right. Well, you might get by a tick then, but it wouldn't do what it, that was before the, the, Man, (laughs) have you ever Lyme's disease
1: and so on? Yeah,
0: have you ever looked into the Lyme's disease conspiracy theory about the Nazi scientists?
1: Um, I I
0: do vaguely recollect them. That they, I I don't. But go ahead, please. Yeah, it was they. The you know Lyme's disease is named after Lyme, New York, which is where Connecticut was, or Connecticut, right? Right, Connecticut. Sorry, and there was a. uh, a scientist who was brought over as a part of operation paperclip where they brought the Nazi scientists over if they defected and he worked at this laboratory and his specialty in Germany was using uh insects to create you know as weapons of war and so you know i mean there's there's no proof of any of it because if it was real you wouldn't know anyway right so I just always found that fascinating right. like what if yeah. they just and I got bit by a tick a few years ago and had Lyme's disease, and I'm like, this is miserable, stupid Nazis. So Yeah, you're doing okay now? Yeah, you have yeah. Any- I, they caught it pretty yeah. early. That, the worst part was, I think, the antibiotic that they give you when you first get it. That was the worst part. I was sick for yeah. two weeks while I was taking that. So.
1: Yeah, I wanted to. I came back to Port Allegheny a couple years ago, and I wanted to take a hike up on top of the hill to the rocks there in Port Allegheny. Uh, on Old Baldy? On Old Baldy up around the bend from Old Baldy yeah and, uh, but um, I, I was told first of all some some people from Pittsburgh are going to own the property now don't go up there they got he's got cameras you know it's not worth the hassle you're going to go through if because he'll catch you on your camera and he's a nasty guy. So that was one thing. But then also it was, you know, you can't just walk in the woods like you used to up there anymore. You got to make sure you cover up really good because the ticks are nasty and and what you get is nasty from them. So, um, yeah. yeah. I mean, we live in a fallen world, huh? Well, yeah, things are broken.
0: They're not fun. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And And that's something, you know, if it's not treated properly, that can stick with you for a long time and have flare-ups for the rest of your life. That's it, right. So.
1: That's right. Yeah,
0: that's what but, I've heard. But, you know, my kids grew up in the woods, too. You know, I, when we bought our house in Bradford, we decided to buy it, you know, along the creek and on the woods. And so, you know, they were homeschooled, so they'd get done with class about noon and take off. And the rest of their education was building forts in the woods, you know? so Yeah, it's great. That's great good stuff so uh you know i think a lot of people out there in the world you know whenever i talk to somebody who's from the city right they don't understand you know d- don't understand at all the way that small town america works and the way that people think and the way that we you know look out for each other and you know i mean and it, and to be fair i don't always understand the way that the big city thinks right that's for sure yeah. <laughs> you know w- what do you think is the difference
1: Uh, can you be more specific with that question what's the difference between the
0: cities and the, the towns or yeah, yeah like like why is why is it that people who live in the city don't understand people who live in the country and, and vice versa
1: I think that we are to some, we are all to some extent products of the environment that we grew up in and and the difference between growing up, I'm I'm here in St. Paul, Minneapolis, the difference in growing up in, in downtown Minneapolis compared to growing up in uh Port Allegheny is it may as well be Africa or the United States. I mean they're that they're that different. It's just um it's just a different it's just a different world there. So the fact that, uh, the only thing that makes it similar is that we're all, we're all people, so we're all the same in that way, uh, but we're adjusting to our environment all the time when we're growing up, and and um, so I, I'm not surprised, you know, I went to, I went from uh, Port Allegheny to Chicago, and my <laughs> That was a that was a huge change for me to go to to go to college in in Chicago, right? right in the city. And of course, you have to learn some things about, well, you, you better really look right and left before you cross the street. you know, you don't have to do that in Port Allegheny, that's that's silly, of course. but um you know, we just took off on our bikes and we went, well, you don't do that in the city. you've got to be you've got to be careful about lots of things, and you're not. If you grew up in a small town, you're not savvy about how to live here, and I, I kind of can't imagine uh, so few people ever moved to Port Allegheny. I don't know if anybody from a I don't I don't think I know anybody who moved from a big city to our little town. I I'm not very many people moved to our little town ever, so um, I I can't I can't imagine what that would have been like. I think it might maybe it might have been kind of nice um, for them to experience that, but, but I'm
0: not sure. Yeah. I feel like our, our, uh, our town was basically just a Hallmark movie. (laughs) It was, you know, it It was, was, it was so, so different from the rest of the world. And, you know, and, you know, and, and even the North versus the South, you know, when I went to Virginia, it was a bigger town, but it was still, you know, smaller than most, but, you know in the south it's just a completely different way of of pe- that people kind of interact with you you know down in the south they're always really sweet and really kind to your face and yeah, yeah. <laughs> and in and, you know in p in, you know port Allegheny, they tell you exactly what they think about you and it's not that they're unkind they just tell you exactly what they think <laughs> sometimes they're unkind <laughs> <laughs> sometimes so, sometimes well, they yeah. are yeah usually yeah usually i think their hearts are good though i think i think they yeah. they're they're not trying to be mean most of the time.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: I well, would you say grew up I think-
1: in Rawlett, which is
0: even even smaller. I mean, that's how many people in Rolette? A couple hundred? Uh so when I was there, I think it was about six hundred and the debate was in whether or not that included a couple of cows. So mm-hmm. yeah, so Yeah, definitely small. Yep. And Port Allegheny was, I think, twenty five hundred then. So mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, yeah. we had to ride the school bus, you know, like 45 minutes. Well, it wasn't a 45 minute drive, but it was on the school bus to get yeah, from Picking everybody up. <laughs> roll, it, roll it to, yeah. to Port. Um, and, uh, yeah, lots of crazy experiences riding that school bus. A lot of people that rode my school bus have gone on to do some pretty awesome things, too. You know, Isaac Greeley, I don't know if you know him. He was the, he was the nat- national, no, I think he was the world no gi Brazilian Jiu Jitsu champion a couple of years ago. Um, Mike Sowers was a Navy seal and he went on to, he's been in like some movies and started a really popular, you know, t-shirt line. And Josh Kinney went on to be the pitcher for the St. Louis Cardinals on one of the years they won the world series. And we all used to ride that. There's a whole bunch of other as well. We all used to ride that same school bus together. So that was kind of neat. How about that?
1: Was Josh Kinney was a real lit kid.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think later on he lived in port, uh, like when, you know, Towards high school But we, my mom used to Babysit him And we'd play catch In the backyard And I mean Really he threw And I tried to catch Because I <laughs> I was not athletic In any sense of the word So <laughs> Yeah That's too bad Because you're a big guy You
1: could have uh, w- Yeah Maybe you weren't Back then
0: Well no I was a big guy Back then I was always real tall They always tried to Recruit me to be On the sports teams But I had the, I, I have coordination With my fingers To be able to play Saxophone and guitar But not not to be able to uh to throw or catch and so i used to get used to get picked on and bullied for a long time by the by the jocks and um till i realized you know i could i had to fight quite a bit you know so i i was the thriller in manila <laughs> mm-hmm. um i remember one time you know they they'd uh you know they you know, you know the bullying back then was always you know you're gay or whatever you know that was always what they wanted to to put on you and i i remember A a football player was picking on me one time and said that. The funny thing is I had kissed his girlfriend the night before on the band bus, so I really wasn't that worried about it. (laughs) That's why he said that.
1: That's why he said that. You (laughs) You
0: didn't know yet. You didn't know yet. But but we we worked that out. We worked that out. (laughs) Hey, You know,
1: uh, you're supposed to be interviewing me, but I'd be interested to know, how did you come about to come up with this podcast? Because you've been at this for... I mean, maybe even some people listening to this for the first time don't know this this story, and you've sure. been doing this for like ten years, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, the podcast itself was a little less than that. We started as a blog, and uh so i um when I came back from college, I also worked in youth ministry for a while and uh led a uh, a group of teens in town and you know and then when it, once I moved to Bradford, I kind of kept in touch with a lot of those kids, and then a lot of those kids started getting in trouble, you know they're now young men, and they're getting in trouble for. Drugs, or you know, all kinds of horrible things, kind of creeping into their lives. A few of them died from overdoses and suicides, and I'm like, I kind of felt like I failed them, you know. And so that was kind of one of the things that motivated me to start doing manlyhood Is I wanted mm. to. I'm like, you know, I, I need to be able to invest in these. And it wasn't just those young men because there's young men suffering with that all over. And I recognized I had the the awesome privilege of. Having an amazing dad who took the time to teach me how to be a man, and a lot of these kids didn't, and so I I wanted to try to take the things my dad taught me, and pass that along, and you know that's what started manliness. That's where it kind of came from was that desire to help young men learn how to become men. And, and now yeah, we uh, mostly I, just I, have fun conversations on the internet. So <laughs>
1: yeah, I listened to uh, um, one part of your podcast where you're talking about I think recently about your the two most important things your dad said to you, which were, uh, "I'm proud of you" and "I love you." Yeah. Um, right. I think it was in the other order, but uh, nevertheless, the, those are those are powerful words for a kid to hear from from his dad. Um, and I've I've shared them in, in my comedy routine. As, as you heard me do something recently that uh, about how my dad, my dad and I didn't we we didn't say those three words. I love you. Um, And yet, I never, and I, and I'm still. I think it's a. It must be a. As I share that story around the country, um, very, I'll I'll see people. I'll see men my age just shaking their head. So I know a lot of this is it's generational. It's also ethnic. I think to some extent, Um, I that Swedish stoicism um, that. Exi- it exists. there's no question about that. Uh, that's part of it. Um, you, know, you, 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 you share the kinds of, you share in the kinds of ways that your, your father did. So you know, I, I am sure that you many times said to your children, "I, I love you and I'm proud of you over and over, um, as I did too, but I kind of broke a cycle there, mm-hmm. but I never, ever questioned about my dad's love. I always knew as I just shared, I knew that he knew me. He knew my heart. He knew uh, who uh, who I was and what I He knew my strengths and my weaknesses. Um his love for me was unconditional and I and I knew that. We just didn't say those words very very much. But I am uh, uh I'm ever grateful for my dad. My mom died uh in 2020 um uh during covid not from covid but she died during that time she and my dad at that time were both in nursing care both really sick i lost my mom uh so i started facetiming my dad just because i i felt i i characteristically would have spoken to my dad maybe once every week at the most Usually two weeks, sometimes a little bit more. For my whole adult life, we would just have a quick talk on the phone, you know, chat on the phone. Neither one of us liked talking on the on the phone all that much. But when my mom da- died, I realized, gee, the guy's alone, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna start FaceTiming him, which I did, and it was uh, it really was a it became a very special thing for us. It, it still it still as we FaceTime pretty pretty much every night, we we chat. Um, and we now we never end a conversation without saying i love you dad he'll say i love you son or or vice versa and um and uh, it, it it's a it's a wonderful thing i'm i'm so thankful for him and i and I, I as again i say i broke that cycle with my own my own sons my wife and i always uh made sure they understood how much they were loved and with our grandkids to Help them understand how much they are loved it's unconditional um, there's nothing they can do there's nothing they can do to um, to uh, cause us to love them less than we do so
0: that's awesome. I think it's important because yeah. well it, I, I do think it's important that we say it. you know those words matter, mm-hmm. however, at the same time, it must have taken a special set of skills for your dad to be able to prove it without saying it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, because you said you never yeah. even questioned it because you knew it, you know. Never, no.
1: Well, he was always the always there for me. Um, no, I say he was always there for me, but even I mean, like, the, athletics was so very important to me during those years. Uh, basketball, probably more than football, and and my dad uh, wasn't able to get to some games because. He was an educator, and he had other meetings, and he couldn't he couldn't get out of sometimes, and he would have to miss them. And he would always tell me how how badly he felt. Tell me about the game. Let's talk about the game. But he was usually there uh, for uh, for that. And um, yeah, he it was. Um, I honestly i. I, my dad is probably, I think, maybe the the best man I've ever known. I mean, that's that's how that's the esteem that I hold him in. Uh, he's uh, just a wonderful guy, and and not only the way he treated me, but I've I've looked at the way that he's, he's treated others in the family as well as everybody that he knows. And most people would say would say that about my dad. I've I've heard them say that about my dad. That that's a, your dad's the best person I've ever I've ever met he is so i don't know if i've i don't know if i've ever heard him say a bad word about anybody now conversation we'd have conversations where he would he would we'd be talking about someone for example that we needed to talk about for any given reason and he he might uh he might say yeah i i agree i i think that's um I think maybe that's that that, that person has made some really bad decisions. That way of rather than saying what a, I've never heard him call anybody a jerk. I've never heard or any expression like that. He would uh, you would know how he felt about somebody but he wouldn't he wouldn't use any kind of degrading condescending words about anyone. Just great guy. Great guy. That's Loves awesome. the Lord and I that's that has by the way, that's another thing that we could, we could have talked about today. Um, my whole career, uh, I have, I have seen myself there, there are, there are Christian uh, performers and there are performers who are Christian and a Christian performer being a performer who primarily performs for Christian people. And then, and, and primarily as whatever their whatever their performance is whether it's music or comedy or theater they're doing christian material meaning they're telling a story about christ or they're uh, teaching or they're whatever uh but it's it, it it's christian material uh i've n- i never saw myself that way um i always saw myself as a performer who is a christian which means i can perform anywhere not that i would but i could perform anywhere for anyone because when i would when i walked into every little every school i ever walked into back then i would pray and and, and the same is true with with every corporate thing that i that i would do i i did i did a i i took for about 20 years of my life, I did one, pretty much just did one show, a theater show. When I would walk in that, in that building or that conference center or that theater or that church or that school, my attitude would be, Christ, I, I pray that your light would shine through my eyes to everybody that I speak to, everybody that I talk to that I run into there today, the teachers, the children the, the theater audience or whoever it is that the, that your light would shine through my eyes in some way um and and that i feel that god has just blessed that uh, beyond my imaginings through through all of these years i'm i'm so thankful that i've been that he's allowed me to do what i love do and what i feel i was made to do um what, what a great thing! I hope you I hope you feel that in your own life, Josh. Um, I hope you I hope you're experiencing to that to some extent. That feeling of it and, and that doesn't mean it's easy. It's it's not easy. I mean, work is work is work, but it's um, but to feel blessed in it and to feel like I'm I'm doing what I should be doing and 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 to know that. God is providing. Uh, I, 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 people think they have security because they have a particular type of job or they get hired by a company or whatever. You don't. You don't have any security. I mean, it can all be gone. Whatever you're experiencing right now, it can be gone like that. Or, worse yet, you can have all the financial stuff that that you can imagine. And yet you get that one phone call about your wife or about your child or, and it, it, and, it, and none of it even matters. That's when you realize this doesn't mean a thing to me. This, what, what was I doing Think, thinking that this was so important when what's really important is, uh, are these people that God has given me and my family to love. And so, yeah, just some
0: random thoughts. Shooting you know, my those are some there, very so. good thoughts, man. I think yeah. about them a lot. Yeah, I, I can relate to and understand that idea, too, of, you know, I'm a Christian, and my job is to represent Christ. Um, but that doesn't mean that everything I do has to be for Christians, you know? So, you know, like yeah. I tell people all the time, people say, well, is the a Christian podcast? Because they look at me, and they see, oh, he's involved in ministry, and he's a worship leader, and he's really heavily involved with his church. And I'm like, Manlyhood is not a Christian podcast. I might have guests get on here who believe something completely different or cuss. I don't censor them. You know, I let them be who they are, you know. And, um, but my heart is to, you know, everything I do, I want God to be glorified in it. So I can completely relate Mm -hmm. to what you're talking about. That's definitely, Mm -hmm. definitely a motivator in my life, you know, because I mean, you don't have Christian car washes right you don't have yeah. have you know christian janitors you have janitors who are christians you know and yep and yep. when you when you're in there and you're mopping the floor you're hoping that that prayer that you prayed before you go and perform you want to, you that's your prayer there too you know that's
1: right i feel the same way when it comes to uh to politicians when it comes to doctors <laughs> i don't i don't I mean, I I I think it's wonderful when I've some of the doctors I've had to deal with in the last I've, I've had a couple of years of, of of a lot of difficulty medically and um, I, the faith of my doctor if if they happen to be a Christian I'm just thrilled because we have now we have something in common I have something special I have a bond with my doctor or my nurse when I realize that she is a she's a follower of Christ she's a sister but. I, I don't want a doctor who is a prime. That's not my primary thing to get. It, have a surgeon who's a, who's a Christian. I want a surgeon who has done this surgery many, many, many times right. and done it well. That's right. the most important thing to me. So, yeah, you know. exactly, yeah. exactly.
0: So you know, it's funny because we scheduled our uh, podcast for yesterday when we first scheduled this conversation. Yeah. And, uh, you had booked it. We've been talking about this forever and, you know, I had just saw you a month ago performing and, you know, probably the biggest gag of the night when you were performing was talking about colonoscopies and, yeah. uh, my, uh, I'm going to call him my business partner, but he's technically my boss cause I'm not a partner in our business, but I'm, you know, I, I work for him and he says, Hey man, yeah. I gotta go get a colonoscopy on this date. Do you think you could take me up? And I'm looking at my calendar and I'm like, Huh? I have to cancel with Bob Stromberg <laughs> to take my friend to get his colonoscopy. <laughs> Good for you. That's great. <laughs> so I just thought you'd yeah. appreciate that story. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, I, I, I do. Uh, well, it, and I don't say this. You know, the reason Josh brought this up, I'll say to all of your viewers or listeners here today, is because one of my... One of my comedic pieces that I've kind of become known for in the comic world is my colonoscopy piece. It's, uh, it's, quite, a, it's quite a funny 10 minutes, so I'm real, real thankful to have come. It's, it almost makes, makes it worth uh, going through everything that I, I went through. Anyway, but what I don't mention, I don't think I mentioned anyway, uh, is that uh, that colonoscopy that I talked about actually saved my life or the, the colonoscopy itself did because I ended up uh, discovering a tumor and then having to have multiple surgeries and uh, life-altering things, but saved my life. So I'm I'm really, uh, really grateful for that. And boy, did I come to uh, be thankful for the men and women who cared for me uh, during my long time of convalescing in the hospital. Um, I'd never been, I had never been what i recognized as as uh, helpless before never i i had always always felt like a um i'd been healthy most of my life, but the feeling of being helpless realizing i can't do anything here i can't stand up i can't sit down i can't move i can't i'm i am i'm helpless that is a that's quite a feeling hmm. And I think a good one for all of us to, to know that we can be like that. Um, a, a lot of your, of our listeners and viewers know that feeling well and know that we don't have, uh, we, we sometimes get to think that we have a lot of control over what, what's going on in our lives. And, and we don't, we don't even have, we don't even have control over what's going on in our bodies, let alone handling everything else. Um, so to be helpless is a is a it's quite, it's quite a feeling, and it was instructive, and i it 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 caused me to appreciate and to love those who are caring for me uh, in powerful ways. I mean, when I said and I was only in the hospital, well, I was in there several times, but no more than five or six days. But when I left there, it's just I was emotionally overcome to say goodbye to nurses who had cared for me during this time, because I realized. You 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 don't know what you did for me. You don't know what this means to me that you took care of me like you did. So,
0: yeah, it's powerful stuff, Listen. man.
1: Yeah.
0: Hey, I know that we're getting close to the end of our time, Bob. So yeah, uh, let's transition to my questions that I like to ask all of my guests. I'm really yeah. interested to hear your perspective on these. So the first one is, what does it take to be a man?
1: Well. And as you know, because you've asked many men this question, it, it's a loaded question because that's that's what I, I assume this entire manlihood mancast is about—to uh, to help people understand more and more what it means to be a man. Um, I think uh, one of the things that comes to mind for me is. It seems to fly. It seems to fly in the face of manhood, but it's a, a sense of surrender. Um, and, and by that, I mean I'm, I'm thinking about my my relationship with my with my wife, with my kids. Um, I will. I, I I think to be a, a man to them means to surrender my life to them. Um, speaking, speaking about my wife, Judy, for example, it's been, uh, 50 years now of learning what it means to surrender my life to her, not to every, that doesn't mean that every idea that, you know, when we have a conflict that, that I have to give in, that's not what it means, but it means that I have to be wide open to, um, to ignoring my own ego in some things, or my own sense of pride, or my own sense of that certainly that sense of I have to be right. Um, I have to surrender that. Um, I also have to surrender that to my children. Often, uh, sometimes I have grown children, and sometimes we'll have we have very different views on things but i i have to recognize that i i have to allow them to be themselves here i don't have to i don't have to make sure they understand that i'm right about this if i am they'll find out about it at some point i have to i just have to surrender and love them and i and certainly to be a man in relationship to my creator i have to surrender i have to surrender my life to his will um When I thought I was going to die, I remember saying to my wife, (laughs) I thought we got the call from the surgeons with the the diagnosis, which was really bad. And I I said, I thought that when you see people's knees shaking, I thought that that in collapsing, I thought that that was a, a something in cartoons. I didn't know that was a real thing. And so I'm talking to him, and I get the diagnosis, and I almost went down. And that's when I realized, but, but within a minute, I, I was rallying and going, this isn't my life. Um, I, I'm not in control of, I may have thought I was in control an hour ago before I got this call, but I wasn't. Or a year ago, I wasn't in control of my own life. None of it's in my control. I mean, little things are decisions I can make, but I don't know. You know, I've said to my dad many times. He's ninety-seven, ninety-five now. I've said to him, Dad, you know, we shouldn't think we shouldn't think for a minute that you're going that that uh, I'm going to outlive you. We're not in control of those things. I said I may very well go to be with the Lord before you do and he said yeah that's that's true so we need to surrender our we need to surrender our will to God I think that that's and and to our wives and to our children and well and we need to surrender we probably as Jesus said we need to surrender to we need to be the servant of all which is another way of surrendering to people yeah I think that's what one of the things it takes to be a man
0: I like the the idea that to serve and to surrender are that's probably a really good way to explain it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You mm-hmm. can see that. That's yeah. a really good answer, Bob. Um by the way, I'm glad that you're still here. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Me too. So that's a that's a good thing. So, let's say that you're able to hop into a uh a time machine and set the date back to when Little Bob was 10 years old and you can go have a conversation with him. What do you want to tell 10-year-old Bob?
1: Uh I would uh, I, again it's a loaded question there are lots of things and lots of different lots of different things I might I probably should tell 10-year-old Bob. But when you ask that question to me what one of the things that comes to mind was a was a interview I saw between Charlie Rose, I don't know if you remember him or not. He was another guy who got in trouble for sexual stuff, and I think his show got, or he got canceled along with his show. But Charlie Rose was interviewing James Taylor, and he was asked that question. And he answered in a way that I just thought was great. He, he said, um, I, I think I would tell my younger self, or, or no, I, if, if I had known that things were going to turn out as they did, um, I would have enjoyed life a whole lot more. And i that's true. I, I, I know I would say to, ten, to my 10-year-old self, you know, you do have a tendency to worry a bit and to project into the future a, a bit more than you should instead of uh, being thankful and enjoying the day you're in right now. And uh, I I know that that's true for me. If I and so I would tell my ten-year-old self that, if I, I, I know if I had excuse me, I'll get rid of this. If I had known um, that my life was going to turn out the way it did, I, I know I would have uh, I would have I would have enjoyed it more. And I've enjoyed it a lot, but I would have enjoyed it more.
0: Great answer. Great answer. And good uh <laughs> a good reference there as well. James James Taylor's good stuff. So. <laughs> so, my last question is for the men that are listening today. What is your best advice for them?
1: Sorry. Uh I think I would. You know what? I don't think I would probably tell them more than what we just said. I would. I would tell them: learn to be what it, what it means to be a man. Learn what it means to surrender and serve and serve others. Uh, understand that you're not in control of your life. Understand that every single day in, in your life, this day is a gift. It's a gift. There was no there was no guarantee when you woke up this morning that you would. There's no, there's no guarantee when you woke up this morning that you would uh, be listening to this podcast right now this afternoon. You're not in control of that. You're, it, it's a gift from God. He's given you this day. So, so be, be grateful. Be thankful for it. Rejoice in it.
0: Awesome. I think that's excellent, yes, advice, excellent advice, and I would agree with it 100%, man. So, Bob, if our listeners want to connect with the work that you're doing, They want to find out more about you, get to know you and some of the comedy, because you've got some amazing comedy. What's the best way for them to make that happen?
1: Uh, uh, BobStromberg.com. That's it. BobStromberg.com. There's uh, all the information they would want to have me about there. I used to have up dozens and dozens of videos and I narrowed it down to three or four that are there. I just, I just put a few realizing people that, you know, they can go to YouTube. There's so much bad stuff on YouTube, you know, people standing with their phones, videotaping. And, and, uh, but I, but I put
0: some good stuff there for people to watch at bobstromberg.com. Awesome. Well, we will include that in the show notes so people can check you out. I really appreciate this conversation, man. Uh, Thank you for inspiring me to misbehave in the right ways when I was a kid, and <laughs> that, <laughs> and I really appreciate that. It that tickles
1: kid. me. It tickles me to to think about that. Now that's that's rewarding to know that I was an encouragement to you, Josh, back way back then. So
0: yeah, I I remember going home and showing my kid my parents the finger trick and pulling the couch out and showing them how to how to use the escalator. And you know, I was barely taller than the couch, so it only took like two <laughs> steps. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> Funny. So, anyway, I really appreciate you, man. Thank you very much. Bless you, brother.
1: This is the Manlyhood Mancast.
0: Bob, thank you again for being on the show with us. I really appreciate you, guys. Make sure you go to BobStromberg.com. Let's support the work he's doing there. Uh, check out some of the fun videos he's putting together. And uh, yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us today, man. Those of you that are listening, I appreciate you very much. I hope that uh, the content that we're putting out here at Manlyhood is helping you to become an even better man. That's my vision. That's my heart. That's the core of this movement. And it's not just me. It's you. When you are sharing our content, when you're interacting with us, when you are leaving ratings and reviews on Spotify and Apple, and when you're doing the work to help us get the word out, you're a part of this movement. But even more than that, when you're becoming a better husband and a better father and a better leader in your community you are helping this movement, and I'm really grateful, and I'm really thankful that you're doing that. Anyway, guys, just wanted you to know I love you. I'm proud of you, and I'll see you next time.
1: Thanks for listening to the Manlyhood Mancast. If you want to be a better husband, father, leader, a better man, you need to join our private Facebook group, the Manlyhood Mancast. Join
0: today Please help us out with a like, comment, share and subscribe and check us out at manlyhood.com.